0: This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? You of, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, Not even Solomon, in all his splendour, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom begin by praying. So Father, would you take my words and use them for your purposes and to your glory. Amen. I want you to keep in mind uh, that passage while we begin with something a little different, which is a quiz. I know we're British and we hate audience participation unless we're at a pantomime. And even then, we kind of still low-level resent it. But <laughs> the issue of food waste only really um, makes sense when you hear some numbers and see some pictures. So an informal quiz with no prizes whatsoever. So question number one, how much, food, how much of the food that we grow goes to waste? Is it A, one-sixth, B, one-quarter, or C, one-third? C, one-third, one-third. How strongly do you back yourself? Great. Should we see? <laughs> yes. I mean, that should say C, one-third, not A, one-third, but congratulations nonetheless. <laughs> Next question. How many people could that amount of food, so the one-third that we grow that goes to waste, feed? Is it A, 3 billion, B, 50 million, or C, 1.5 billion? Anyone? A three billion. How strongly do you back yourself? <laughs> should we see. A three billion. You should have backed yourself. Oh. <laughs> Next one. How many people worldwide do not have enough food to be healthy? A one in ten. B one in seven, or C, one in four? C, one in four. How, how strongly do we back ourselves here? 100%. Wow. Bold. Should we see? It's B, one in seven. Oh. <laughs> better though let's be honest than one in four so let's look on the bright side here people come on (laughs) number four what is the reason for 20 to 40 percent of vegetables being rejected and therefore thrown away before even reaching the consumer a they've gone moldy b they don't meet cosmetic standards or c there's too much oh oh, a mix goodness gracious (laughs) should we see B, they don't meet cosmetic standards. It's vegetables, people. It's vegetables don't meet cosmetic standards. 20 to 40%. And the final question in this completely irrelevant quiz the amount of bread thrown out in the UK every month, that's every 30 to 31 days, is enough to fill A, an Olympic swimming pool, B, a football pitch, or C, St Paul's Cathedral. C, St Paul's Cathedral. Should we see? Oh, see, it is St Paul's Cathedral. Enough bread (laughs) is thrown out in the UK every month to fill St Paul's Cathedral. So, these stats, every time I do this quiz, I'm still blown away by St Paul's Cathedral. That's a very big building, that's a lot of bread. The scale of food waste around the world is unprecedented and often actually unnoticed, like the 20 to 40 percent of the vegetables which are thrown out before they even reach the consumer. To come to church and hear a sermon on faith and food waste may seem a little odd, but I firmly believe that this is not only a justice issue, but a human issue as well. To let you know where we're going, I always like to know where I'm going in a sermon, mainly so I can track how long it is until it's finished. I'm going to show a little video, I'm going to tell you about how I got passionate about food waste, and then we're going to think about why food waste happens, not just practically but also spiritually, looking at the issue through the lens of today's passage. And then finally, we'll explore what change or changes we can make going forward. So, to begin with, I'm going to show you a two-minute video. Started coming across these numbers about how much was being wasted, and I just thought, How is nobody talking about this? 40% of everything raised or grown is not, in fact, eaten. If that much food is being wasted, how much of it is still good, and can we eat it? Oh, waste right now. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, 100%. you're gonna hit the jackpot. I'm starting to enjoy this. Is that cold stuff? Can I buy those bananas? Yeah, you want to buy the banana sure. Yeah. I'm not going to ask for a deal. I'd rather just not draw attention to it. Supermarkets tell you what diameter, length, curvature, all of those parameters have to be exactly right. Our whole fridge is full of stuff that needs to be eaten tomorrow. This is not a lifestyle that I want to continue. Well, neither do I, so let's stop. I don't want to stop because we haven't proved anything yet. Highs and lows of the project, you know? Highs and lows. Mm, this is a high point. This is edible, but it's not edible to the supermarkets. As a grower, that's heartbreaking. When you grow the fruit and you can't sell it. That bothers me. Yeah, this is me every week. You wouldn't want to know how much product we would dispose of. food is not only widespread, but it's condoned. The scale of the stuff that we've seen so far is pretty shocking, and I think we've only seen like the littlest bit. That's a trailer for a film that you can watch online, which is essentially about food waste. Um, The first time I saw that video, I was like, huh, that's a lot of food waste. I always assumed that food waste kind of happened elsewhere. Like it was like in America or somewhere out there, like somewhere far away. It didn't happen on my doorstep, it was someone else's problem. But then I I met Nikki. So, Nikki lives in Durham, where I went to uni. And her passion to tackle food waste began when she was simultaneously um, working at a hotel and working for a charity. Uh, So, in this hotel, every morning after serving breakfast to the customers, Um, There were beautifully cooked sausages, bacon, eggs, freshly squeezed orange juice, everything that you would want from a full English breakfast, right? After she had served that to the customers, she would be instructed by the management to throw anything left over away, straight into the bin. Trays and trays and trays of perfectly good food had to go straight into the bin because of company policy. Even staff members weren't allowed to take it home or eat it. And then, on Wednesday nights, she would go and volunteer at Food Cycle, which is a charity which takes surplus food from local businesses and makes a three-course meal to feed the homeless and vulnerably housed people in the area. Sometimes they would feed up to 30 people in one evening. So the disconnect between these two worlds got Nikki thinking, and she began investigating and then campaigning, and she now actually runs a food waste cafe in Durham. That's how I got involved stats are powerful motivators but if you're anything like me you're a seeing as believing kind of person especially when it comes to the big numbers i struggled to comprehend the extent of the problem despite the pictures and the statistics so a couple of years ago as i was planning a talk for some youth about the problem of food waste my co-speakers and i decided to go and take a look in some village supermarket bins around the area this is what what is colloquially known as bin diving We were in a little village in the middle of nowhere, so we thought we probably wouldn't find much. There were only a few co-ops and a Morrison's nearby, but we thought we'd give it a shot, why not? And lo and behold, under the cover of darkness, we discovered quite something. From just two different shops within a five mile radius of where we were staying, we found this. I actually did consider going bin diving last night <laughs> to bring some of my own examples and to prove that it happens in London too. But it turns out that bins are a lot harder to access in central London and bin diving here would come closer to trespassing than it did in a sleepy Somerset town. So <laughs> alas, no bin diving sustenance for you. But what I do have is a selection of pictures from what I've picked up this week from a bakery around the corner from my house. So this bakery is very posh. A cinnamon swirl costs you £2.50. A sandwich can cost up to £5. One of their USPs is that they bake their goods fresh every day, which is great, apart from that this means at the end of every day, the food they haven't sold goes into the bin. Thankfully, they have a great charity policy, which means that I can go into the bakery at 7pm, pick up the leftover food, and walk it five minutes Five minutes down the road, that's it. Five minutes down the road to our local homeless shelter, which houses over 70 vulnerable adults. I do this every single day. This is Monday. That's what I picked up on Monday. Can we have the next photo? So what I picked up on Tuesday. And this is what I picked up on Wednesday. This was a quiet week, okay? So the monetary value of the food that I move can be anywhere between £100 and £400 on one day. You see this, this little bag here? I've picked up six bags full of food from that shop. I've calculated that I move approximately £50,000 worth of food from the rich to the poor of Pimlico every year. (laughs) It's ridiculous. It takes me half an hour one evening. And that's one bakery on one road in one city. And incidentally, behind me on this table here is what I picked up from this bakery last night because I thought I'd bring it along. Um, And it is actually free for the taking at the end, if you are feeling peckish. Um, Just to prove to you that it is perfectly good, although I would recommend eating it within 24 hours and keeping it refrigerated before you eat it, (laughs) just to be on the safe side. It is delicious, though. Ten out of ten would recommend those sausage rolls. So this food waste is happening all over the country. In Durham, for example, this amount of food was taken from outside one set of bins outside one supermarket on one evening. When we alerted them to this, they didn't stop throwing out their food. They just put their bins behind locked doors. And this isn't actually just supermarket bins. This is happening further up the supply chain as well. So this bread or milk for the next day should come up. Grant. So this amount of bread and milk was intercepted by my friend Nikki. You'll remember her from earlier. When a supplier accidentally overordered. This was all about to go into the bin when it was intercepted. Completely fit for consumption, within date, but unable to be sold. So what do we do with it? We stood on a street corner and handed it out to passers by. <laughs> One of the weirder days of my time at university, I'm not gonna lie to you. So having thought about that, the, the natural question to ask is, why does this happen? If we're asking practically, this is a complicated and multi-layered question. It's cosmetic standards, it's sell by date restrictions, it's poor infrastructure, it's poor storage, it's poor transport. If you're interested, come and ask me about it later. But the food waste issue also raises many questions about us as people. Questions about the particularly Western habits of stockpiling, of greed, of consumerism of always wanting more and assuming bigger is better, of safety nets and cushions for consumption. There's a selfishness problem, an individualistic view, a lack of care for the environment, the farmers, the harvesters, the producers. Out of sight, out of mind, we think, as we throw away yet another thing of food. But in line with our passage today... I want to suggest that this food waste issue is just a symptom of an even bigger underlying problem, a problem of the human heart. The most important question it raises is a spiritual one Who do we trust to provide for us? Unsurprisingly, there isn't one text in the Bible that you can look at and find an answer to this. There's no thou shalt not waste food by doing X, Y, or Z anywhere in the Bible, not even in Leviticus. But what the Bible does do is tell us a little bit about humans and the human condition and where our priorities should lie. And it is here that we come to today's passage, the parable of the rich fool and the do not worry instructions of Jesus. These speak not only to food specifically, but also to the underlying problem of priorities and who we trust to provide for us. So in verse 15, which we just read, Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in an abundance of his possessions. Here, Jesus is saying that no one enjoys happiness or peace, nor finds true life in the possession of earthly things, not even in food. One might even go so far as to say that if you take such deep comfort from earthly things they have become an idol. Man cannot live by bread alone. In this parable, the rich fool did not regard possessions as things lent to him by God and to be used in the service of the Lord, but instead things to be stored up for his own benefit. He was like the Israelites, who, seeing the manna appearing from heaven and having been instructed to take enough for the day, went out and collected far more than their daily share and stored it in jars, out of fear that God would fail in the future. And in the morning when they awoke, the manna from the day before had spoiled. I wish I could that I could say that if I woke up one morning to find freshly baked baguettes having fallen from the sky overnight and an instruction to take just enough for the day ahead, I would trust God to provide the next day as well. After all, this is the God who has just made it rain bread. (laughs) But I know myself, and I know my habits, and if I'm quite honest, I think I would probably do what the Israelites did and stockpile. I would probably be a rich fool. I probably already am. I am just a disclaimer. I am fully aware that we very much need food in order to survive. But the question that I want to consider here is whether it has reached a point where we trust in worldly things like our own abilities, like supermarkets and full cupboards to provide for us rather than God. Whether we would rather have too much and then throw away the leftovers when they spoil rather than have just enough to go around. After the parable of the rich fool, we move neatly onto the probably slightly better known passage of do not worry. I don't know about you, but as someone who has a tendency towards anxiety and worrying, this passage has, A, been quoted at me a significant amount at inopportune moments, but B, has actually brought me a great deal of comfort over the years. But what is there that we can take away from it today? First up, some context. This passage, Jesus would have been saying this to people who had no backup plan. They wouldn't have had a safety net They would have had only just enough to live on. And there was always the prospect that one day they wouldn't have even that. Most of them would have had perhaps one spare garment, but not more. As with many in today's non-Western world, one disaster, the family breadwinner being sick or injured, for example, could mean instant destitution. It was to people like that not people like most of us with wardrobes full of clothes and cupboards full of food, that Jesus gave his clear and striking commands about not worrying over food and clothing. In verse 29 then, we come back to something which applies to everyone, modern or ancient, rich or poor, an attitude of the heart. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. In short, do not let your heart become so attached to these things that your inner life is controlled by them. Please don't get me wrong here. Food poverty exists. I am very aware of it. And I know that not having enough food in the house is a sad reality for far too many people today. I see it every day when I take these baked goods from this bakery to this homeless shelter. Maybe even some of you here this evening are all too familiar with that feeling of not knowing where your next meal will come from. Please don't take this as an admonishment to you. What I'm trying to question, particularly for those of us who do have enough food and resources to get us through the day, is where we have put our trust for provision. A disciple of Jesus, you see, Is one who has a true sense of values and recognizes that real life is not measured in terms of possessions or in terms of long life food in the cupboard. Indeed, let's take a moment to read on a little further. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you will need them, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This passage, it shows us that God isn't an aloof God. He's not a far off distant God, but he's a father. He's a father who calls you his child and it asks quite blatantly what is to stop you from trusting him. So who are you trusting to provide for you? Tesco? Sainsbury's? Waitrose on a good day? Or your father in heaven who sees what you need and has promised to give it to you? And then we come to the mention of the kingdom of God. This was deeply countercultural back in Jesus' time, and it's just as countercultural now. The kingdom of God is bringing the values and priorities of God Himself to bear on the greed and the anxiety of the world. The kingdom of God is not about an abundance of possessions, a cupboard full of long life but almost out of date rice pudding, or a food based backup plan. The kingdom of God is about selling your possessions and giving them to the poor. It is about knowing that the life that we lead on earth is only temporary and that naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. The kingdom of God is about acknowledging, as it says in Psalm 24, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The kingdom of God is about knowing that we have been called to steward the earth and its resources and to love our neighbor as ourselves. This means both our physical neighbor. Maybe one who has plenty, but maybe one who is visiting a food bank. And it also means loving our global neighbor. Again, maybe one who has enough to eat, but maybe also one of the one in seven people who goes to bed hungry every night. The kingdom of God is about remembering that as the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, God provided manna for them every single day. And if they took more than their daily share, it would spoil. The kingdom of God is about praying, give us today our daily bread and trusting that God will provide. Yes, he often provides through supermarkets and cafes and bakeries, but this is about more than just physical bread. The kingdom of God will one day be a physical reality. Come Lord Jesus. (laughs) But for now, it is a spiritual one that we must cultivate ourselves with the help of God's spirit living within us. This is about the attitude of our hearts. So, where does this leave us with the issue of food waste? There are many things that you can practically do to combat food waste. You can plan your meals. You can remember that food is not about what you can afford, but what you actually need. That's, That's quite a mindset adjustment. I'm still struggling with this. But food is not about what you can afford, but what you need you can grow your own an ambitious plan in london but we'll we'll run with it you can support organisations like the real junk food project who run food waste pay as you feel cafes you can exercise your consumer power because where and how you shop makes a difference and while you do that you can ask your supermarkets what they're doing to tackle food waste You'll have seen recently in the news that various supermarkets are beginning to do stuff about food waste. Tesco saying that I think Tesco saying they're not going to um, throw away food by a particular year. In fact, on Friday, we fed 90 um, homeless people, and part of them feed, uh, us feeding them was through 150 pastries that Tesco were going to throw out and gave to us instead. Ask your supermarkets what they're doing; they care about your, the consumer. You can donate to or volunteer at a local food bank. And what does your church do? What does your church do about food waste? What can your church do about food waste? Think about it. Pray about it. See see where God takes you. It's quite the adventure. You you might end up going to a bakery at seven o'clock every evening and moving food, but it's only half an hour and it makes a difference. But in terms of where this leaves us with God, I'm aware that this has been a lot of information over twenty minutes. And I've thrown a lot of stats at you, as well as hopefully a lot of food for thought. Pun unintended, but nonetheless enjoyable. Um, but when it comes to our spiritual temperature gauge, the good news is that there is grace and forgiveness. I'm stood up here preaching on faith and food waste. But just yesterday, I had to throw out half a packet of bagels because I'd forgotten about them and they got moldy. I definitely stockpile pita breads. There's an entire drawer in my freezer full of them because I have them for breakfast every morning. And I secretly find even slightly wilted salad absolutely revolting. (laughs) No one is perfect, but there is grace and forgiveness. So I want to suggest consider relearning the spiritual discipline of fasting and feasting. I have friends, for example, who eat soup every weeknight together and then feast together at the weekends. In today's Western world, we eat better every single day than many ancient monarchs would eat on feast days. Fasting focuses our hearts and our minds on God, and it is a way of denying ourselves and learning that God provides. But perhaps most importantly, and I'll finish with this, set aside some time over the next week and ask God to show you where your heart is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Repent of the times that you have trusted someone or something other than God to provide for you. Ask God to teach you the reality of his kingdom in your heart right now. Intercede for those living in food poverty. Give your time, give your money, give your prayers. And the next time you find yourself praying the words, give us today our daily bread. Know that God hears and he will provide. Amen. Amen. Thank you now.